I said, your job is the validation. Your background is the validation. They would rather hear from you because you have that common background than from me just because I won some award. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you'll get to meet one of my speaking mentors, Darren LaCroix. Apart from being the 2001 world champion of public speaking, Darren is an inspiration to me because he continues to hone his craft and to help other speakers do the same. If he can become a comedian without a funny bone in his body, you can be an effective speaker, even if you're an introvert. Welcome to The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti. This program, as you know, is a mix of content and conversations. And today I am having a conversation with one of my speaking mentors, hmm. Darren LaCroix. Hey, I can't begin to tell you how much I have learned from Darren since first meeting him, I want to say, uh, nine years ago, over nine years ago, I think. Wow. And the gems that Darren has shared with me have found their way into my work, specifically into my books, especially my first book, The Speaker's Quick Guide to Telling Better Stories. I would not be in the business I'm in now without Darren's guidance and mentorship. And I extend a sincere welcome to my friend, Darren LaCroix. Hey, David. Thanks for having me here, my friend. I'm glad you're here. All right. Tell me your story. Set the stage for me, please. <laughs> well, my story as far as presentations is concerned, I assume? Yes. All right. So I, as a child, I loved comedy and humor, people who are, could make people laugh. But I was told over and over again, you're not funny. Shut up. <laughs> like That's not your <laughs> thing. So I realized they were correct because I never made anyone laugh. I said, okay, business. I want business because the NFL didn't look like it was going to work out either. <laughs> they, <laughs> they don't pick up second string quarterbacks <laughs> for college. So that being said, I decided, you know, I loved business. So I went to four years of business school. I went out, I went for the American dream. I bought a Subway sandwich shop. Because after business school, you have no money, you have not proven yourself, and the only way you can get a bank loan is going with a proven system, which is a franchise. So I was able to get a loan with a silent partner, and I was off. I was going to be a multimillionaire. I was going to own a whole bunch of subway shops, and I just couldn't wait for the money to roll in. And about a year and a half later, I sold my business, my one subway shop at a loss. And it was devastating. Uh, living at home with my mom, I now had a business loan, but no business. I still had to pay my partner back because I lost uh -huh. money. And I still had school loans. I'm living at home with mom and dad and was one of the lowest points in my life, which now I'm so thankful for. One of my buddies gave me a motivational tape of a man named Brian Tracy. And I'm driving down the road listening to this tape. And he asked a question. He said, what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? Oh, that's profound. What would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? 
Exactly. It's not what you're good at. It's mm-hmm. what you did a dream if you knew you wouldn't fail. And I went back to that eight-year-old kid who loved laughter. And I said, you know, if I could do anything, I would be a comedian, make people laugh for a living. That would be the ultimate. Uh, but then all of a sudden that little voice of reason on my shoulder started talking in my ear, but you're not funny, Darren. But that wasn't the question. The question was, what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? So I was at such a low point. Thank goodness I had nothing to lose. (laughs) I said, I couldn't go, you know, I, I can live without a lot of things, but I couldn't live with the regret of wondering what if, what if Brian Tracy was right? You know, it may be crazy. It may be stupid, but what if he was right? So I decided I was going to ask someone who was where I wanted to be. You know, for everyone, go to people, not your friends and family, who think they know everything about everything. Because when I went and talked to my friends and family, they compared me to Jerry Seinfeld. You know, someone just thinking about it with no talent, just getting started to someone who's the best and one of the best in the business. That's not fair. Don't compare yourself to great people. Be inspired by them. Learn from them. Be a sponge to them. But don't compare yourself. It's not fair. You're just at your beginning. So I decided, well, let me go to a comedy club. I had never been to a comedy club in my life. So I went to a little comedy club called um, Dick Darty's Comedy Hut in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I worked up as much courage as I could, the shy, quiet kid. And I walked up to the headliner. He seemed quite approachable. And I asked him this question. I said, hi, my name is Darren. I want to try this. What do I need to do? And he looked at me. He said, are you funny? And I said, no. (laughs) And he said, good. I'm like, what do you mean good? But he had my attention. And he said, Darren, look, people who are naturally funny, you know, around your friends and relatives, like my brother and cousin, he said, if you took them out of that environment and put them in front of a group of 100 strangers and handed them a microphone, he said, they couldn't make them laugh. He said, that's a different skill set, but that skill set can be learned. What? (laughs) That can be learned? He had my attention. He said two things. Number one, go get the book. I'm like, book? There's a book about stand-up comedy? Of course, there's books about everything, but I wasn't thinking that way. So step one for any goal, especially presentations or being good at it, if it's all of a sudden just been launched into your uh, career that now you've got to be good at this. And communication is so critical, but somehow, even if we know what we want to say, we get in front of a small group even in a boardroom and we just go, and <laughs> And we don't get our point across. So congratulations, you're human. Uh, It's the fear of embarrassment that we're worried about. So he said, number one, get the book. So I say, get the book. Listen to David's other podcast. Be inspired. Be a sponge. This is a matter of your career. This is a matter of your income and providing for your family. You might know your business, your, your engineering, your scientific brain. You might be brilliant. But unless you can communicate that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are. You still got to talk to your boss, your managers, the people who work under you. It's so critical to get this one skill down because Mm -hmm. you can have somebody who's not as smart as you, but a great communicator. Well, they're going to get promoted and given the big projects before you. So it's just a piece of it. But anyway, back to my, my story. So number one, get the book. 
go to people who are great at what you want to do. And what I love about David is he's got the perfect background for you. I couldn't teach you. I couldn't speak your language, even though this is what I do for a living. And he does speak your language and he knows what he's talking about. So <laughs> be a Thank spy. you for that. Well, it's the truth. It's the truth. We had, um, remind me to tell you about the Australia story um, <clears throat> in a minute. Okay. So number one, get the book. Number two, he said, go to an open mic night and watch other people who are just starting out. Wow. I, I didn't think of that. See, my friends and family compared me to Seinfeld. He's saying, compare yourself. Look at other people who are just starting out. So I went to an open mic night. I had never been to an open mic night. <laughs> Two days later, I went to this little comedy club called Stitches, which was right across from Fenway Park in Boston. And I watched people go up for their first time, and they were horrible. Oh they gosh. were horrible. And I thought, I could do that. <laughs> I could be horrible. <laughs> it, it inspired me that I could be that bad. Like I can go up on stage and make a fool of myself and embarrass myself, but I needed that. I needed to see, look, the bar is low at the beginning. It's what you do with the bar. And it's if you keep raising the bar, that's what mattered. So I got the book. I studied for two months. I went to Stitches every Sunday night to be re-inspired. And it was April 26, 1992. I brought my friends with me so I didn't chicken out. This was such a stretch for me. I had a friend bring a video camera just to make sure I could prove that I did this just once. <laughs> this was not a career. This was a just one time. And I went up. I was shaking. My voice was quivering. And I, I told one joke where I was talking about Dr. Robert Goddard, who launched the first liquid fuel rocket in history. And I was making light of all the different towns in New England who had this claim to fame that changed history. And I was telling this joke about Dr. Goddard's launch, which is only 41 feet high, the first one. And I said, the rocket took off and it went vertically. But I did horizontally with my arm. <laughs> I realized my mistake. And in that instant, I just reacted. And I said, ah, oh, shoot. That's not the actual word I used that night. But, ah, oh, shoot. All of a sudden, everyone started laughing. Why are you laughing? That's not where you're supposed to laugh, but I'll take it. It's the result I wanted. And I remember walking off stage, the MC that night, uh, Vinny, who became my mentor down the road, he said, don't quit your day job, kid. Oh. And one of the other new guys came up to me to console me, put his arm around me, said, don't worry, man, it's just your first time. And I remember thinking, don't worry, it's just my first time. Did you see what I did? I got a laugh. No one told me I could do this. I don't care that it was a mistake. I, if it was a mistake, I'll reproduce the mistake. And I looked at my five minutes of time, and I realized if I could get rid of everything else and figure out how to reproduce that one mistake, I could do this. And I dove in. I got every mentor that I could. I got every book that I could. I took every class that I could. And my mentors taught me stage time, stage time, stage time. And they said, Darren, any day that you don't get on stage is a day that you don't grow. Mm. Okay. That's a new perspective. 
but who's going to give a guy who's horrible stage time? And there's only like three open mics at that time in Boston. So you got a hundred wannabe comedians vying for those three nights. So it was hard. So I started being a little more creative, looking for other places I could get stage time. And I was sitting at my desk at Bose Corporation. I got a day job in sales, selling the Bose Wave radio, worked at one of those cube farms. And this newsletter plopped in my cube and I'm looking at it while I'm making my calls and I'm like, Toastmasters, what's that? I start reading about it. I'm like, hey, here's a place I could get stage time during the day. Comedy clubs are only open at night. I could fail twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) So I walked into my very first Toastmasters club and I noticed something different from the comedy clubs right away. These people were warm, encouraging, and sober. (laughs) So I immediately saw the value and I joined four Toastmaster clubs as soon as I could. And that way I could get more stage time because that is what the people who were where I wanted to be said what mattered most. And Mm. so I followed it. You know, I'm so glad I had zero ego in it. I knew that I didn't know. And as adult learners, we're out there to prove we know more than everybody else. That's our biggest challenge, I think, out there is ego. We don't want to look bad. Well, oh yeah, you got to be willing to look bad to get good. Got to be willing to look bad to get good. And, you know, gosh, I identify so much with what you're saying because... I was in broadcast engineering, and as a broadcast engineer, I was expected to be able to come up with answers to to problems. And the whole notion of getting up in front of an audience, I mean, (laughs) I do remember the first time I got up in front of an audience at an engineering conference to deliver a paper, and I had no idea what I was doing. And unlike you, I didn't know what I didn't know. That was what held me back for the longest time. Mm. Mm. But, you know... I so appreciate your sharing that because it is true that no matter how brilliant someone's solution to an engineering problem, how brilliant someone's research into a scientific challenge, if people don't know about it, what good is it if you can't tell the story of your work? Mm, Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that changed for me that really helped set me on the direction that I'm on now is when I was when my friend Rich dragged me along to my first live training event that you ran, you and Ed Tate. It was a get paid to speak boot camp out in Vegas. Do you remember that? That was wow. That was a while. That was 2011. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It goes goes right back to get the book. Who is where you want to be? What do they say matters most? Not a the average coworker like. Mm -hmm are people who are the best. What do they say matters most? And like when you read, find that teacher and all of a sudden the teacher is spoon feeding you a whole new perspective, a, say a world-class perspective that you never heard before. That's when you've got to be a sponge and look, it may, you may make some mistakes. You may stumble, you may fall. That's part of the learning. You know, do we tell our kids if they fall off their bike the first time? Oh, forget it. That's not for you. No, no. we pick them up. We scratch them off, uh, you know, take care of their wounds, tell them it's going to be okay, push them again and until they get it and then they get it. And that's the thing, same thing with presentations. It's not overly complicated, 
but you also can't just read it from a book. You've got to apply it. You've got to have that encouraging environment and that encouraging mentor as well. Start with the book and then, and then get the mentorship and, and admire people who are at the top of their game, but don't compare yourself to them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so nine years after that first time you stepped on stage, something else memorable happened in your life. (laughs) Well, I, you know, going back to, you mentioned stories. So I can't emphasize it enough. Storytelling is truly the key to communication. It has been since the, the, since the Bible times and even before that, even cavemen telling the story. So don't overcomplicate it. What's the story and how do you tell it? How do you tell it right? And in 1998, I had a comedy mentor who was also a, one of my best friends and I brought him into speaking and he saw me struggling. He said, Darren, stop trying to find that story that will launch your career and instead take the stories you already have and make them so good someone will pay to hear them and that was a new perspective for me because i just thought the story happened or you see a speaker tell a great story i just thought the story happened and that's how it happened not realizing there's a craft to it not realizing there's some elements that distract your audience's brain and you should you know fillet it down to the bones and then build it up with the right critical um elements to that story and so this he gave me this new and honestly i ignored him for two years <laughs> i ignored him and then finally he had passed away oh. and but his words stayed in my head. Stop trying to find that story that will launch your career and instead make them so good someone will pay to hear them. So for you listening to this, make your storytelling so good, you're the one they want presenting. You're the one they want on the front end leading this project because of your communication skills. And so I had heard about that. Now, keep in mind, I'm still digging out of my debt, digging out of my school debt, digging out of my college debt, my, excuse me, my business debt, living at home with mom and dad, an emerging wannabe speaker. And so I was marketing myself every waking moment that I wasn't at my day job. I was speaking anywhere and everywhere for free. The one thing I wasn't doing was working on my craft. After seven years in Toastmasters and nine years in stand-up comedy. So I went back and I realized I need to focus on my craft. I need to focus on the skill of storytelling. So I had my one keynote speech. I pulled out my best speech and I joined the Toastmasters speech contest just to focus on that one story with my whole goal to use the contest to force myself to work harder on this one story with the whole purpose of putting it back in my one keynote speech in an improved format, taking the story I already have and making it so good someone will pay to hear them. So I didn't even realize the speech contest went to the world championship. I just thought it was some cheesy name, the International Speech Contest. (laughs) Yeah, it's international. Mm-hmm. because I didn't know that much outside of my little Toastmaster club. And then I kept winning, which to me was cool because then I could work on it another, go another round and practice it more and make it better. And so I was realizing there was all these little tweaks that I could add that would enhance the story. And then I found myself competing in a semifinal contest called the regional back then. And there was a man named there, the world champion of public speaking. You know him well, Mark Brown. Mm-hmm 
was presenting. And I remember being in the front row, taking down, here's a guy that won everything. And he, you know, taking notes furiously. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I, after his presentation, I said, if I win today, would you coach me going to the world championship? And he, he agreed. And I did win that day. But I also won so much because the stories I was telling were getting better and getting better. And I could use them again and again. So now in the world championship, I thought if I work with Mark, he just gives me a few tweaks. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I got a schooling and my ego. That's why I talk about the ego. Cause my ego was in the way I've been doing this for a while. I'm a part-time paid professional. I do stand up comedy. Well, I wasn't world-class and Mark could see that. And Mark was so kind and gentle, but just held up a mirror and basically said, you're horrible. <laughs> that speech is, well, not you're horrible, but that speech is horrible. That speech is horrible. But he helped me see why. And so I learned so much in the evolution of working with a great coach. I evolved. Whether I had won or not, I got better. Those 77 days between when I met Mark and when I performed the World Championship speech, I was never the same speaker because now I learned world-class techniques as opposed to the average. See, as a presenter in the corporate world or scientific world or engineering world, when you can communicate, when you can get your point across, so the managers and the other people who are smart as you can both get it, that's what separates you apart. Like just be a sponge because this multiplies what you already know. Wow. That's terrific. And so in, when did you win the championship? 2001. 2001. That's right. World championship of public speaking. And I have strived to go that way. I have made it to the semifinals, but never been on the big stage. And I have been coached by Mark Brown. He's a brilliant brilliant coach. And maybe we'll have to get him on the show as well. I'm going to take a little break right now. And when we come back, I'm really looking forward to hearing that Australia story that you teased for me. Okay. So we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. You are a knowledgeable expert and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual. And that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. And we're back. I'm David Odie, and with me today is Darren LaCroix, the 2001 world champion of public speaking, and more important to me personally, someone who has coached me, someone who has guided me, someone who's helped me make the transition I made in my own life from a career in engineering to a second career in public speaking, training, and coaching other speakers. And Darren, I noticed behind you 
Is that your world championship trophy? It is. It is right there. And my CSP award too. Certified speaking professional. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have uh, another credential, the combination of which I believe is unique to you, right? Yes. Also an accredited speaker. So I'm the only one in the world that has all three of those. And that's the moment at the time of this moment (laughs) at the time of this recording. Right. World championship from Toastmasters, accredited speaker from Toastmasters and certified speaking professional from the National Speakers Association. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, And I'm dying to hear the Australia story. What is that all about? Well, Mark Brown and Craig Valentine and I have taught over in Australia and I was doing an event with Craig over in Australia, Craig Valentine, another world champion of public speaking, friend of mine, great teacher, great teacher of storytelling. You should have him on here too. And we were in front of an audience and it was a small group, but there was one gentleman who I could just tell like the wheels were turning in his head. And he said, well, you know, but I got to win the world championship in order to do this for a living. And now here's a guy who is an engineer. So he's an engineer, wants to teach presentation skills, but thinking he had to win that trophy in order to be qualified to teach. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, picture this. If you're in front of a group of engineers and the engineers speak your language, They don't speak my language. They don't care that I have a piece of plastic here in my office. They want to learn from someone who has the same background, speaks the same language, knows the challenges that they have working with a manager, working with a project manager, working with people who aren't engineer brains. I said, they would rather learn from you right now than from me because I have a piece of plastic. You know, that is the critical part. That's why, David, I think you have this unique um, opportunity to help people in that world who have the same background, who talk the same language. So after we said that to him in front of class, he finally started getting it. He felt he needed the validation. Mm Mm-hmm. I said, your job is the validation. Your background is the validation. They would rather hear from you because you have that common background than from me just because I won some award. Make no mistake. Wow. Thank you for that. That's a a very touching story. I hadn't heard that before. And I, I will say about having Craig Valentine on the show. Craig was the first world champion I met because when I had the privilege of representing a certain part of the country at another contest, the last regional uh, series of conferences in 2009. Um, Craig was the keynote speaker at that regional conference. And I had, I can relate to what you said earlier about when you met Mark Brown, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking, oh, I've done all this storytelling. I'm sure he can give me a little tweak or something, right? <laughs> because Craig was doing a, a presentation on storytelling. And I thought, well, yeah, I've won the district. I've won four levels of this competition so far. I know a thing or two about storytelling, but I'll go, I'll go, maybe I'll pick up something, right? Oh my gosh, he blew me away. And that was when I began to understand just how much more I had to learn 
mm-hmm. about stories, about what they are, how you use them, why you tell them the way they do, what they do for you as a speaker. And his work and your work have both featured prominently in everything I've done since then, including, as I said, the books that I've written. And it's just, it seems so important to me that people understand storytelling has been with us far longer than science and engineering. I mean, when I was an undergraduate, double majoring in physics and radio, television, film, people would ask me, and people have asked me ever since, why on earth physics and radio, TV, film? And I said, you know, I've always had this fascination with how the world works and with the stories we tell ourselves about how the world works, sort of Mm -hmm. that intersection of the the sciences and the humanities. And so now what I try to do is help people who give technical presentations learn to tell the story of their work. So in a couple of minutes, is there one thing that you would want those technical presenters who are watching or listening to this program to know about doing something different the next time they get up to give a technical presentation? Yeah, Ed Tate fellow world champion as well. He says, it's our job to take the numbers and turn them back into people. Oh, let me repeat that. It's our job to take the numbers and turn them back into people. Okay. Because the people sitting in front of you, what's the relevance to them? And I think the numbers are the numbers and they are, uh, okay, this can slide here and the gears and the ratio and the da, 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 da. Okay, but to me, sitting here listening to you, especially if I'm not technical, what does that mean to me? And I think it's just remembering what's the meaning to the person listening to you. I'm not saying don't have case studies. I'm not saying don't have slides. But the other thing is one I have a corporate um, client um, back in Boston, and they do they pitch a hundred and forty thousand dollar a month contract. And so they were forced to have the uh, their presenters, who are these young 20-year-olds, out pitching this company, work with me before they go out there. And one of the best things I did with them <laughs> is I would sit there, and each slide, I would cross my arms, I would lean back, I was like, defend this slide. Mm. What's the one point you're making from this slide. Well, if you can see, no, 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 no. <laughs> What's the one point? So, you know, if you're doing a complicated process, you've just got to let us absorb one piece at a time and then build on it just like a bullet point build, but maybe it's a graphic build, but we've got to absorb it. One slide, one point. If you're trying to show two things, make two slides. One slide, one point. We've got to be able to absorb what you're getting across. And then the other quick related uh, tip would be the B button. Understand the power of the B button, turning the slide black or blank. And when you do that, the attention goes from the slide, boom, to you. And then when you turn it back on from you, boom, to the slide. And it's about attention. It's about keeping engagement. So I say if you're telling a story or you're just talking to the audience, shut it off. And they'll, they can't help but zoom back in on you and then turn it back on. And now it becomes more interesting again because it wasn't up the whole time. So I teach my corporate presenters, if I can get you to do one thing, it's to keep going back and forth. Yeah. If you're doing that, you know, if you're doing Zoom, if you're 
showing your presentation online. Go from talking head to slide, from slide to talking head, talking head to slide. Just keep changing it. We call it a pace element. Keep changing the pace element to keep your audience engaged. Keep changing the pace. That's right. It's all about engagement. And, you know, right now with so many of us having to do our presentations virtually and not having the audience present there with us, uh, that makes engagement that much harder, doesn't it? Absolutely, because you all have all the things going on behind their computer that you have <laughs> zero control over. You know, we wish they were sitting there watching their computer in a white room with a white desk and nothing on it. That's not reality. So what we wish we could do is eliminate them, and we can't. No. You physically can't. So no, the can't. solution is engagement. The solution is bringing that relevance of what you're saying back to them on a regular basis using, as you know, uh, David, the word you or your. The word you or your almost is like a cattle prod, like you listening, you listening. But most people don't say it. They, you know, the worst thing I want to punch people in the face when they say you guys. Okay. Especially if there's women in the audience, you guys, well, think of what would you say to, how would you talk to one person over coffee? You would say you or your, or we, or us, but you wouldn't say you guys, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about and stop just the wording alone using the word you or your is and it's subconscious but it goes out and their brain engages when we use that in my championship speech i use the word you or your 34 times in seven and a half minutes 34 that's an average of four per minute for those of you calculating in your head <laughs> now that's not the rule but take a look, as you know, we learned from Patricia, who is also a guest on your show. Be yes. aware of what's the I-U ratio. How many times you say the word I versus how many times you say the word you. And we're not saying don't use I. We're saying there should be an equal ratio or 60-40 either way. Just not like 98% and then one at the end. What do you think? You know. <laughs> By the way, my other pet peeve in the corporate world, lose the thank you slide. Yes. Lose the thank you slide. Thank you is a horrible way to end your presentation. But if you need a slide to help you be horrible, <laughs> how bad is that? There's bigger issues. So, what do you like to end with? A question, uh, the call to action, leaving it as Patricia says, your last words linger. You know, so right. your decision. I give you the last word. <laughs> Make no mistake, the three things you need to know, whether it's live or virtually, is stage time, stage time, stage time. Okay. Which makes me think of that sign behind you, Stage Time University. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about that, about your podcast? How else can people sample the wit and wisdom of Darren LaCroix? How can people engage with you? Well, if you like podcasts, you're listening to this podcast, I have one as well. We don't focus like David does on the scientific side, on the engineering side, which that's why I love that you're doing that, David. Uh, we talk about unforgettable presentations. What does it take to put together an unforgettable presentation? So my coach, Mark Brown, and I have one called Unforgettable Presentations Podcast. Uh, I have a free newsletter if you go to Be a Sponge 
Com, BeASponge.com. You can check that out and you'll get my top 10 speaking mistakes and my top 10 virtual mistakes for free. Wonderful. And Stage Time University is also something people can look up to engage you as well. Yep. That's, uh, that's where we teach good presenters to become unforgettable. So we have live coaching calls. We teach the business of speaking, but if you want to check out StageTimeUniversity.com, you can do that as well. Do that as well. Wonderful. Darren, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I always enjoy catching up with you. It's a pleasure. I love your voice. <laughs> Thank you. That great radio voice. I love it. I have voice envy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't say I have trophy envy, but um, I do admire you, admire what you've been able to do. And Darren, I think the reason I admire it so much is not that you became the world champion it's because you've made such a life since then of sharing what you learned on your journey to becoming a world champion. Thanks. Thank you for taking time to be on my show today. This is David Odie and the power of story and science. If you'd like to get in touch with me with any questions, comments about the show, suggestions for future guests, just go to storyandscience.com. This has been the power of story and science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.